throw it in the tree, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna suck on it. Suckle it. Suckle it. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> Please never say suckle again. Suckle. <laughs> Especially with food in your mouth. You're like, suckle. <laughs> it's very wet. <laughs> There's fucking Reese's shrapnel. <laughs> Around. I'm like, there's fucking Reese's shrapnel just <laughs> fucking everywhere on these couches. We just blew up. Oh just like to talk dear. for a second about the perfect peanut butter to chocolate ratio with the Reese's shapes. Agreed. Agreed. Just, it's just top notch. It really is the trees. The eggs. Fuck, fucking pumpkins. Oh, fucking pumpkins, man. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 43 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. And uh, we are recording today with a really weird sound in the background. What is happening? Okay, so... A UFO has officially no, landed. it's not. I'll tell you. Let me tell you what my dad fucking did, okay? So our dog died, you know what I yep. mean? My mom comes home. She's really sad. And you can tell that she's sad. And Sophie, our other dogs, and Clover can tell that she's sad. So she's in her chair, and 75-pound Sophie goes, I'll sit in your lap, Mom, and climbs up in the chair with her, and the chair goes, thunk, thunk, and the chair breaks. Whoops. So my dad, because my mom has bad back, so she sleeps in a chair part of the day, my dad decided to do something nice, and one of his guys at work buys old furniture from the nursing home and resells it. Okay. So my dad bought her a lift chair. So it, like, reclines automatically and lifts and helps her right. stand up. From the nursing home. So we're haunted now? So I'm pretty sure there's death a dead body that has happened in that chair. And I'm like, as soon as this house starts acting haunted, we're burning that chair. That chair is to blame. And mom, mom's like, and dad goes, don't say that stuff. And then I'm like, mom, how's your dead body chair? And she's just like, I have to sleep in that. Could you not? And I'm like, there's death a dead grandma in that chair. <laughs> Or Linda. So now all the weird sounds are that we hear are it's our, our house is haunted. You're blaming the chair mm -hmm. and the poor elderly person who passed away in it, and it is now stuck attached to the chair. Yeah, and Dad's like, Dad, people don't people don't attach themselves to chairs, and I'm like, people attach themselves to inanimate objects all the time. Haven't you ever seen The Conjuring Two? That creepy old man who like melts into the chair in the corner. <laughs> oh yeah, the Enfield Poltergeist. Yeah. That's a hoax, but I mean, like, the movie. The movie. <laughs> I mean, that's not fucking real. In fact, I hear that they didn't even show up invited. They just showed up. No, and, and they were there like, for, like, less than a day, and then they bounced out. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> not about all that. Anyway, but, we're uh, hashtag nerding out on horror movies. Right. <laughs> and you, huh, how is you? Well, you know, my dog died, so it's been a really depressing week. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. How about you? I've been fine. Haven't had to do any overnights this week, so that's nice. I'm feeling a little less, uh... Mm, tied down. Feeling real free, you know. Free as a bird. You're almost in your new apartment. Almost in my new apartment, even though that's got a little hiccup. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. The only problem is next weekend I'm, like, booked up with shit for the most mm -hmm. part. Other than, like... I kept the day open to record, but 
But we don't have to. We but we don't have to if we do two today. So mm -hmm. that's nice. But we'll see. But I'm excited because then we'll have a recording studio. Yeah, we will. And then we'll a whole like home base. The sounds of the Nielsen. Yep, it'll be relative. And we're on the top floor, so it'll be no noise coming from above us. Unless there's birds on the roof. Unless, <laughs> unless someone's climbing on the roof to climb into the. Unless thing. someone's in the like. Walls. In the walls. In the attic. Yeah. I don't think there's an attic, but Scratching. maybe. Living in my walls. Living in my walls. Those stories are the creepiest fucking thing to me. I agree. Or those videos, like, on YouTube, when all of a sudden the, like, the guy or whoever it may be will leave the kitchen and to go to like bed, and then someone, like, comes out of a cupboard yeah. and takes him. food and then goes back into the cupboard, and then they show, like, the snapshot of the morning when he walks back out and goes in the cupboard and it's nothing there because there's like a crawl space above it so they crawl up into it and then they just yeah. wait that's fucking scary I know, i'm aware. i hate it i don't like it i hate it even talking about it, it makes me go there's something in the walls there's something on some something thing. <laughs> oh william shatner slash that he's you don't know the original yes. of that. You know what I'm talking about. You said Slash, and I was like, whom? Slash Jim Carrey in oh. the second. Um, I didn't know you were referencing it. Pet Detective. Thank you. Thank Ace you. Ventura, Pet Detective. Because he does that in that movie, too. Some He's like, there's thing. something on the wing. Something. See, when you said uh, Slash, um, I thought you were thinking of another person in that movie, and I'm like, no. I'm confused. I think it's oh, William it's just Shatter. the other reference. Mm -hmm. Got you. <laughs> Oh, let me just... a woman turning butter on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one. God, I love Bridesmaids. It's so good. There's so many quotes in that. Oh my god. Very... We're just gonna nerd out about movies the entire fucking episode. Yeah, we will. Or Sweet. not. Let's move on. Okay. You got a story? Yeah. Might as well. Fucking... I got a long one. So fuck it. Might... Let's do it. Might as well fucking strap in, man. Um, Even my short one is like still like four or five pages. This is 14. Yeah, but yours always seem to have such long... I know. And, Amounts, I and then it's fast. Yeah. All right. So, I'm going to tell you about the Sunset Strip Killers. Say that one more time. The Sunset Strip Killers. There you go. It's a tongue twister, huh? Mm-hmm. Now say it ten times fast. Sunset Strip Killers. Sunset. Nope. Nope. Okay. Done. Already done. <laughs> nope. Already fucking done. All right. So, Thursday, June 12th, 1980. Set, set the scene. scene. I'm ready. Big hair. Big hair. Tight jeans. Acid-washed mom jeans with a fanny pack. My mom Hashtag said- crop top. Because I fucking asked her, I'm like, how did you deal with those, like, high, super tight around the waist like, jeans and cut- She goes, you know, you always got a gas bubble stuck in you, and so you felt <laughs> bloated all the time. I was like, that's fair. I can imagine. a fupa. Just I can imagine. <laughs> everybody. So many moose knuckles. <laughs> Just big old <laughs> denim moose knuckles. Okay. okay. So this, obviously, Sunset Strip takes place in Los Angeles. Um, a Caltrans worker picking up trash along the Ventura Freeway uh, found a nearly nude body of a teenage girl. This is June 12th. Okay. She was a young brunette um, who was laying face down in an embankment on the Forest Lawn Drive ramp um, that spilled onto the freeway. She'd been shot in the head with a small caliber weapon. Okay. Not far away... 
Another girl around the same age lay dead. She was blonde and had been shot as well in the head and chest. Uh, and her pink jumpsuit had not been removed, but it was slit up the legs. And there was what flesh the spread on her face. Fuck. Okay. Um, according to investigators, the girls had been killed elsewhere and then dumped down the sloping embankment. Okay. Uh, they thought they could possibly have been hitchhiking, but they had no ID on them and their bodies were bloated from spending several hours that day in the sun because it was like one of the hottest summers on record. Well, right. Uh, the police realized that unless someone reported them missing, it would not be easy to make an identification due mm -hmm. to the, the heat that they had been sitting out in. Um, however, just as a side note, uh, this discovery, their bodies were dropped near the same spot where... Uh, victim Laura Collins had been dumped in 1977, which is a killing that's still unsolved. Okay. And then they they were also dumped near where the Hillside Stranglers, Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Bu Bono. Bueno? Bono. Bono, whatever, uh, had dropped Yolanda Washington. Okay. Um, she'd been dumped on the opposite side of the road. It's That's the fucking vacuum. Mom's slamming it around. That's what the sound is. Sorry. I just it just hit me. That's what that sound is. Okay, so Yolanda Washington had been dropped on the other side of the road, like the opposite side of the freeway, but like right in that same area. Okay, sounds like a great place to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they but they had been caught near the end of the year before and were in prison at this time. Right. Uh, but the police had feared a copycat since they the bodies were dumped in that same area. Uh, and they had been placed, like, in plain view. So that it was clear that they'd only been sitting there for a short time because, probably People, a matter of hours, right. because they were in plain view. And the killer obviously didn't care um, if the bodies were found, which is also similar to the behavior of the Hillside Stranglers. Yeah, they were very much, like, dump when they were together. Right. So the next day, Friday the 13th, um, Angelo Murano of Huntington Beach went to the city morgue to look at the bodies. He and his wife had been looking for his daughter and his stepdaughter for more than a day. Uh, and when she, he'd seen the news report, he'd gone straight to the police fearing the worst. Oh my gosh. So the girls were, in fact, his missing daughter, Gina, and his stepdaughter, Cynthia Chandler. Uh, Gina was 15 and Cynthia was 16. Holy shit. Can you imagine? That's crazy. So the family didn't want to talk to reporters or anything, but other people did because people are assholes. And they were reported as being drug abusers, truants, and frequent runaways. Um, they weren't even clear really how long they had, when they had last been seen because the girls often like... Took off. Took off. Okay. Um, and they were often seen hanging out mm -hmm. on the Sunset Strip where prostitutes could be picked up. So they believed that they possibly could have been sex workers okay. and that they were labeled as being engaging in a high risk lifestyle. Which I get, I get it. It doesn't but mean also, you get to kill them. It doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> no, I hate like, when they like make it like a, Oh, but you know, they were living a high list right. risk lifestyle. It's like, I, who fucking cares? It doesn't mean it's okay to rape or kill or do anything to anybody right. just because they're doing something that isn't necessarily the most safe thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyway. So, the autopsies indicated that when they were found, Cynthia had been dead for more than 12 hours, placing the time of death around midnight. She had been dragged across a rough place after she was killed. Gina had been shot twice in the head, and there was no obvious sign on either girl of sexual assault. Although semen was located inside the vagina of one of them, 
and they believe that it's possible there could have been necrophilic activity. Gross. So, um, another a call came into the station from a woman who stated her boyfriend was the killer, but refused to offer any details that could help locate him. She knew details that had not been released to the media, um, and that she and her boyfriend had recently washed the car inside and out and was consistent with the way a killer would act who wished to remove evidence. However, the switchboard disconnected her, mm. and she never called back. Oh, no. Okay. 11 days passed, and then two more female bodies were found. Shot in the same way. Uh, just before dawn on June 23rd, someone discovered the body of Karen Jones, who was 24, on Franklin Avenue. She was a sex worker and had been shot in the head with a small caliber pistol and dumped, uh, like, by a Burbank Steakhouse. Okay. Not long after, around 7.15 a.m., the headless body of a woman, believed to be in her 20s, was discovered nude beside a steel trash bin on June 23rd. Well, that's different. Yes. No head and hidden. The bin was at the rear end of the Studio Sizzler restaurant in Los Angeles. So they were kind of, like, close to each other. Close. Not... Mm -hmm. Okay. So then um, Sergeant Al Gastaldo made a brief comment for the paper that the incident took up, it just took up one paragraph, um, just below the notices of a bomb threat that had evacuated a British plane and of an earthquake in the Riverside area. So it wasn't really hitting big, big news. news. Yeah. Ugh, that less dead thing really drives me mm-hmm. crazy. Okay. Um, the victim that did not have a head was soon identified as 20-year-old Axie Wilson, Um, who was also a sex worker and a friend to Karen Jones. Okay. And through a search of the area, they could not find her missing head. Um, They had no leads as to who the killer was. They had absolutely nothing to go on. June 20... (laughs) I don't like it. No, I'm not. On June 27th, a man named Jonathan Caravello uh, was driving down the alley near his apartment around 1 a.m. And he tried to park his car, but he hit something. And what he had hit your fucking eyes, dude, was a spotted. He it was like an ornate wooden box that looked like some kind of like a treasure chest. Okay. And uh, he opened the lid inside. They found the head wrapped in a coarse material. Or he okay, wait. So he opened the lid, and there was something wrapped in like a rough coarse material, and it smelled weird. So he decided to look further into it. And in just cradled in a discarded blue t- jeans and a t-shirt was a human head. Uh, it was this person was female brunette and her mouth was open. Okay, just keep, remember that in your head. Okay, but side note, real fast, when I was like five or six, I went to a family tell me friend's about house. About a traumatic event where you found a head when no, you were child. No, I didn't find the head. Okay, <laughs> I was like five or six, and I went to a friend's house, and her parents left, and she was only like five, and we were left home alone, and it was like ten o'clock at night, and we were trying to call my family, but I was so young that I couldn't remember our phone number, and so we tried the wrong number by like two numbers, and they're like, "Oh, honey, I'm sorry. What's your parents' name?" And she looked up my parents' phone number for me because we've got freaked out because we were watching a movie, and in the movie, I don't know what movie it was, they found a severed head in a bag. And we were five and six, and both of us, like, panicked, and then I couldn't remember my parents' number. Whose house were you at? Um, a person that doesn't go around, that isn't around here anymore. It was, like, just a family friend from back in the day. We no longer have ties at all. Oh. But, yeah. So then my parents came home. They left you there? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's not good. No. You can't leave a five and a six-year-old alone. 
Take no. Burn down a house. No. But yeah. Side note, severed heads freak me the fuck out. Yeah, they're not cool. Well, I don't, I feel like they would freak most people out. <laughs> yeah, they're not cool. They're not cool. Thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. So, found a head in a box. <laughs> okay. He immediately regretted the decision to open the random box on the street. Fair. Fucking later days, didn't call the cops. Did he think it was a treasure chest? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Filled he with like, pirate's treasure? Fuck yeah, treasure chest. Got gold the blooms I in got it. so many gems. <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know, they barely are worth anything. Okay, but remember the open mouth. Yes. Oh! Okay. Uh, the head was considerably colder than the outside air, so they believed that it had been frozen and then washed. And okay. it um, was connected to Exy Wilson via the cut marks on the neck part of that was left. Okay. Uh, the head and body had been placed approximately eight blocks apart. Inside the skull was a twenty-five caliber copper-jacketed bullet. Ballistics analysis determined that it was likely an automatic known as a Raven. Okay. And the bullet had killed Exy was from the same gun that had killed the stepsisters. I'm getting some real Ed Kemper vibes from this person. She was, so was the bullet that had killed Karen Jones. So the okay. bullet matches in all of these cases. Okay. So they officially declared that they had a serial killer. That's so weird that it's and so those, different than those other ones. at a time. Yeah, but it's so weird that it's so different. This yeah. one with the no head must have really liked her. <laughs> You'll find out why. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, the police held a news conference uh, and... Lieutenant Ron Lewis was quoted in the Los Angeles Times as saying that Wilson and Jones had come to the city only two weeks earlier with their pimp, and both were from Little Rock, Arkansas. Jones had been found about three miles from where Wilson was dumped and two miles from where the stepsisters were found. The pimp, who went by the name Albright, was questioned but was considered not a suspect. Um, they had no suspects, and they would not even make a public statement that they were linked at this time. So they knew they had a serial killer, but they wouldn't state they were linked at this time. Okay. He said that he did not want to compromise the investigation with speculations, um, and they believed that Wilson's head had been placed in the alley only a few hours before it had been found, which the press took to mean that the killer had kept the head with him for days. Well, yeah. Obviously. They also insisted that press conference was not to discuss evidence, but to solicit help from the public. In particular, he wanted to urge the anonymous caller who had contacted the police earlier in the investigation to call back. And then he showed the box that her head was found in to see if anyone could say, like, does this look familiar? Where did, if you've seen it, where have you seen it kind of thing? Who's the pirate does this belong to? Right. Um, just as kind of a, to set the scene of what was happening, obviously, in California at this time, the murder rate in the city of Los Angeles was at an all-time high. The 80s as, were fucked in I know. California, generally. In the, like, Pacific yeah. <laughs> West, Northwest. Um, as had the number of serial killers at large over the past several, year, several years, and people were calling the city the world's murder capital. And then there was also an intense heat wave that just kind of incited more violence. Well, yeah. Um, I get really cranky when I'm hot, too. Yes. So, the Hillside Stranglers um, had been arrested for a string of murders from 77 to 78. The killing teams, Lawrence Bittaker and Ray Norris, who had tortured and murdered at least five young women in 1979. Mm -hmm. An unknown killer was targeting um, men on Skid Row. And since 1972, someone had killed and dumped over 40 young men on the freeways of the south of the city. Which 40? Is the, yeah, well, the freeway kill. Yeah. Yeah. Will William Bonin. So crazy. Bonin. Uh, and then uh, there were several other killers who remained unidentified and at large, and now the police believe they had someone new to consider. So, like, California was just fucked in the 80s, man. 
God, 70s and 80s were so and weird. And their homicides units were just, like, paper thin, stretched to the max. Well, yeah, because they didn't have such a large amount of things to cover. And technically, the Golden State Killer was also working along this time, too. Mm-hmm. So, on June 30th, uh, north of the Golden State Freeway, they found a mu- the mummified remains of the fifth victim. She was hidden under an old mattress and was quickly linked to the series, which had acquired the name from the news as the Sunset Strip Murders. I, I hate, but I also love when they name killers. Like, I hate it because it, like, glorifies them, but at the same time, sometimes they're, like, real, like, scary sounding. Like, the East Area Rapist and the Gold, like, it's just, I don't know. Well, and I feel feel like when you don't have a name to give, it's it's like, what do you say? The unknown serial killer killer of whatever. It's like, no, these aren't all together. Mm -hmm. It's just these certain ones that are under this person. So the body was, um, basically only her reddish brown hair was visible to those who had found her. The medical examiner believed her to be between the ages of 17 and 25 and that she was about five puts foot seven they didn't they weren't able to identify her at this time um her stomach had been slit open and she had been thought shot three times with a small caliber pistol so that same gun mm-hmm. um she'd been dead dead for at least three weeks placing her first in line in the series of five. oh so this may have been the catalyst one yeah um so there was now fear that there would be more victims in wilderness areas that had not been found because Yeah, this one was hidden. Yeah, so basically they were finding the escalations instead of the, like... So they found the escalated ones, and now they're going back and finding these other ones that... Okay. So then they did another press conference, and this is actually when they displayed the box that her head was found in, asking reporters to photograph it and show it to people in the hopes that someone might recognize its distinctive style, because it was a very distinct box. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a stained pine box... Uh, 10 inches wide, 12 inches high, 8 inches deep, with a brass clasp in front, brass ring decorations, and a metal border. Uh, the police would not reveal their evidence, but they did admit that they had physical evidence linking all of the murders. Um, and that they be- believe the killer li- is someone from this area, lived in this area, but they couldn't be for certain. Is it just me, or does that legitimately sound like a treasure chest? It does. It does. <laughs> fucking head in a treasure chest. It's fucking what it was. That's what Pirate it sounds booty, like. Pirate booty, but not booty. I was like, dark oak <laughs> with a metal rim. Stained and- pine, okay? Yeah. This is mahogany! <laughs> I'm sorry. But it genuinely sounds like a treasure chest with a clasp, a brass clasp in the front. Yeah. Oh, so, oh God. There were many tips to the police to say that boxes very similar to the one that was shown could be purchased at Kmart and Newberry stores throughout the area and, like, the decorative housing mm-hmm. area. Um, they checked on this but found no boxes that looked exactly like that one in their possession. Um, the clothing, this is creepy, the clothing mm. inside the jeans with, inside was jeans with a crotch cut out and a pink t-shirt that said Daddy's Girl. That's what her, the head was wrapped in. I hate in. it. That's I hate what it. the head was wrapped in. What the fuck? I don't know why. Crotchless jeans. I know. I don't know why, but that combination. And daddy's girl pink t-shirt. <laughs> just gives me the. Call me daddy. <laughs> Ew. No. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I hate that. That's I the worst. I fucking hate it. I don't know. It's that combination of all three things where I'm just like. A severed head. Wrapped in crotchless jeans and a t-shirt that says Daddy's Girl across the front. Inside of a treasure chest. Inside of a treasure chest. Left in a back alley. 
and hit by a man who thought he found treasure. <laughs> oh, oh poor guy. Okay. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> what is, is this? Daddy's girl? Daddy. Okay. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Okay. So the first victim was finally identified. Her name was Marnette Comer, also Annette Ann Davis. So she had like a... Alias. Alias. Um, she was 17 um, years old from Sacramento. She had a history of running away from home and was a suspected sex worker and apparently had met the wrong person. She had been last seen on June 1st um, and that um, bullet matched the other... Okay. Um, the box, the treasure chest, was eventually traced to a Texas manufacturer, um, Chicago Arts, which imported and distributed the Mexican-made boxes to Newberry stores in the L.A. area. They had narrowed down the possibility to a few stores and were working on customer leads. Okay. Um, then the pattern changed. So. Sweet. Another corpse was found. This one was male. Okay. The police would not have thought to link it to the series of female murders except for a spent shell casing near the body that matched the other murders. Oh my god. Okay. So the male victim was found on August 9th, five days after he had been killed. He had been left in a van that turned out to belong to him. He was in bad shape from being locked inside during the heat wave. He was blistered, blackened, and decomposing. Oh, I'm sure. He's just melting into a fucking oil spot in the yes. van. And his head had been severed from his body and was missing. See, and that's where I was like, well, maybe it's someone who, like, tried to intervene at some point. And he just shot him and threw him in his van. But he cut off his head? Mm-hmm. He cut off his head? Yes. What the fuck? He'd what also is... been viciously stabbed nine separate times oh. and slashed across the buttocks. This is a smidge bit, uh, hands-on. And pieces of his butt had been removed. Okay, Sagawa. <laughs> Eating all the booty. Ugh. I just... What the fuck? The police did not locate his head, but they were able able to identify him as a local country singer named John Jack Robert Murray. It's a lot of names. So many fucking names. Uh, he was 45 of Van Nuys. He sang part-time at a Little Nashville, which was a bar located two blocks from where he was found. Aside from the beheading, it didn't appear to anyone that his murder had was really had any association with the string of killings. But they just dis- dis- discover the spell- mm-hmm. spent shell casing and, um... Crotchless jeans. <laughs> no. No, just and missing butt. <laughs> they were they discovered that Murray had not been murdered by the Sunset Slayer, which was another name for the, Hill- the Sunset Strip Killer. His demise had come at the hands of the woman who was his girlfriend. The Sunset Slayer's girlfriend. Oh, damn. So she had... She His was gun. also the one who had called originally. <gasps> was he it? No. <gasps> so what the she fuck? had. Okay. You ready? Strap I'm ready. In. You're no, excited? Hold on. I gotta okay. put this on because I'm cold. Okay. So she had broken down on August 11th at her workplace in the Valley Medical Center in Van Nuys, telling some co workers that she had taken lives, and those who heard her say this had called the police. Her name was Carol Bundy. I know this name. She, I don't know the word, the story very well, but I know the name. Go. So she was an overweight, thirty-seven uh-huh. uh, year old vocational nurse who was apparently involved with a man named Douglas Clark. Mm-hmm. Carol M. Bundy had a she had a troubled childhood. Both of her parents were abusive ex- alcoholics. When her mother died, her father told her that she had to take her mother's place. Yep. And he sexually abused her starting at the age of eleven until her father remarried. And then he put her into a foster home. She had, um, like, Coke bottle glasses, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so she, I know the face. So she went through 
three marriages by the time she was 35, including one to a 56-year-old man when she was only 17. Uh, She went between men and women, seemingly unable to decide which gender she preferred, and was often unfaithful to whoever she was with. I was like, which whatever, just... Throwing her cat at everybody. Just like, who will take it? Anybody. You got it? You You got it. Get inside. I'm running. I'm running at you, cat first. Cat first. (laughs) Just pelvic thrust it out at you. Wherever it lands, you're the lucky one. (laughs) Get in. Oh my god. Get in me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So at age 36 in 1970, Jesus Christ. Get out of me. Get out of me. Okay. That is mahogany. Okay. Oh Jesus. Okay. We're getting to that dark part where it's like, I'm just laughing. And <laughs> so, focus. Yep, I'm Age here. Age 36. She moved into a Los Angeles apartment complex to, after, being, after divorcing her abusive husband. She had two young sons, five and nine, and she had health problems, wore thick Coke bottle glasses, and struggled with her weight. So she was a bit of a fatty. <laughs> I can say that because I also this, am a bit of a fatty. <laughs> these were her eyes, too. Oh yeah, she was. She was. Um, I feel like it's fair to make fun of her because she killed people. It's so, true. so she was a watch yourself, big uh, girl. She's a large American. She's a hefty American. <laughs> um, um, so whenever a man paid attention to her, she was very eager to please. Cat, just cat first. Um, John Jack Murray was her landlord. Often helped her out with money and even helped her get disability payments. Found her a job as a nurse, and then they started fucking John Jack. John Jack. Uh, even though he was married with children. So... I wish I was surprised. She proved to be very sexually voracious. Liked a lot of... She was kinky. She liked her things um, fucking yeah. bent as hell. And so she became very, like... She, basically, she became a stage five clinger. She was absolutely certain that John Jack... He will forever be John Jack. John Jack! John Jack Murray! Um, was so certain about his love for her that she tried to bribe and threaten his wife... And then Jack left Carol and was like, girl, you're... Whoa. Whoa! I mean, I I slipped you the D, but that's it. Right, I pretty much put it any place that's warm, so so don't feel special. (laughs) Yeah, special. (laughs) So she would often go to the bars that he frequented, trying to recapture his attention. Stalker! Because she was a stage five clinger. Um, And he um, basically just ignored her. So after Christmas... In 1979, Carol attracted the eye of Douglas Clark, who was 31. He was blonde, very handsome, and Mm -hmm. seemed to take a liking to her. I wouldn't classify him as handsome, but he was, like, 70s handsome. He wasn't... Which is creepy handsome now, so... He wasn't, like, sideways-faced. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't ugly, but... I'd probably still need a paper bag. He looked uh, like, if I remember correctly, he looks almost like a skeleton with, like, skin pulled over his face. Is it him with, like, this? Kind of. But, I mean, he's not bad. Like, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. He's like, anyway, <laughs> I, he's just not to my liking. He's not my type. Okay. When she did not realize, uh, okay. So, basically, what he saw in her was a free ride. He knew that she was lonely, that... Take advantage. She was a little overweight, um, and that overweight women in bars often responded to sexual attention with money, housing, and other benefits. I can see that. <laughs> Look at him! Ah! Those eyes, though, I feel like he's Those are serial killers. stabbing me. Okay. Okay. So, 
Sorry, I just was like, <laughs> now I gotta see if I'm thinking of the right face. Okay. So, Doug Clark was the son of Franklin Clark, who was a naval intelligence officer. He moved frequently during Clark's childhood due to his father's job. He later claimed to have lived in 37 different countries. In 1958, his father left the Navy for a civilian position, um, and the family still moved around quite a lot. Um, so then Clark enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. He was eventually discharged from the Air Force, and then he drifted around for the next decade working as a mechanic. He then moved to Los Angeles and was employed as a steam plant operator. He had grown up in a very privileged home, had been given a good education, but he was just very unmotivated and dependent on others and kind of a sociopath. Um, Kind of just took advantage where he could yes. so he could get the instant gratification and not do any of the work. He had a, he was very polished, very charming, um, and he had slightly European tint lilt to his speech because of Being all the moving around right. he did. And he liked to utilize French phrases and to quote them from literature. Oh, he tried to schmooze. Bitches love... Bitches love French literature. <laughs> oh, and they love... <laughs> they love accents. Like, pretty much any accent. Mm -hmm. Someone would be like... Oh, hey. European accent. European is probably the best, yeah. but... So, uh, another trait that he was known for was an exhibitionist stick response to sex so he was a bit of an exhibitionist he liked to record women with whom he was having sex mm. he liked to take their photograph and then mm, pass these mm, around mm. among his friends whether they wanted to see them or not he you know i hear that about hey, a lot of these fuckers i got naked pictures <laughs> look at this cool bro we're watching the football <laughs> game <laughs> uh right like uh, that's fucking great <laughs> So, soon after meeting, like, I think Clark and Bundy, like, started banging the night they met. Um, but then he moved in. Uh, mm -hmm. But she still wanted Jack. So, she be she was still stalking him so much that he made her move out. Like, he hadn't made her move out of the apartment that he was the landlord for, but he finally kicked her out. Right. So, her and Clark moved to a new apartment, but he still would- Jack would still show up randomly for fucking- what the fuck? Yeah, he'd still slipper the D Jack, occasionally. get the fuck out of here. You can't have your cake and well, eat and it, too. And they still shared a bank account to which she would put money in and he would use the money. Jack? Yeah. The married guy? Yeah. Dude, this girl needs to... Know your worth. Yeah, no. I'm she's, sorry. She's just... I'm sorry that... Uh, so, life really tore her down, huh? So Jack was still <laughs> slipping her the D, but she fought, felt Doug was more interesting. She thought his lovemaking was sensitive. Uh, but then he began to, he slowly would begin to slip in his fantasies of torture, captivity, necrophilia, and murder. Could you just act dead? And she soon became just as fascinated with these ideas. Uh, she said that Doug had once announced that a woman who loved him should be willing to kill for him. He then persuaded Carol to purchase two twenty-five caliber Raven automatics from a pawn shop and register them in her name. Carol! He wanted Carol to bring other women into their relationship for a threesome, and he also got her to entice young girls into their apartment. Specifically, an 11-year-old neighbor. I hate... I hate it. She, she was photographed nude and persuaded to get into the shower with them. Bundy didn't seem to think this was wrong. Instead, she admitted that she didn't feel that this kid was competition for her, so she didn't think it was wrong so to bring her in. So it didn't bother her. Yes. By letting Clark have his experience with the girl was just a way to phase him, please him. It was just a gift. 
they even made a photo album of pictures of the girl with him, that same album that Carol would eventually turn over to the police. My stomach hurts. I know. I hate this. And she at one point brought in, like, because Jack was slipping the D to other chicks too. So she had an- another girlfriend of Jack's that she brought to Doug to start banging. But Doug literally was just using her. So they started a relationship and they would sleep in her bed and she had to sleep on the floor. Girl! Like a dog. I, for yeah. this, it was, it's, there's, I, she, oh honey, you need so much. Yeah, but at the same time, she's a bitch, so you'll get, well, you'll, yeah, you'll see but, why I'm like, I have no sympathy for her. Like, I don't necessarily feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for people that are in that situation and don't turn to another thing. Because I know there are more people that, like. And there was actually another guy that she had started to see, like, once, one of the times Doug and her broke apart. And uh-huh. he had, like got her to take Jack off the bank account and, like, kind of try to get her to turn her life around, and then Doug, like, seduced her back to him. So, um, yeah. Okay. I left all that out because it was a very long story. But, um... <laughs> a very long, not so much, po- like, particularly important yeah. to this story story. Yeah. So, Carol claimed that she was hesitant but afraid that if she did not go along with everything Doug told her to do, he would reject her. She, but she, but it's fairly clear from, like, the rest of the story that she really had no sense of right and wrong whatsoever. So right, she was she, a sociopath herself. She didn't fucking um, care. When Doug became Carol's roommate, things began to pick up speed. So um, he became very controlling. He demanded that she do what he wanted, threatened to abandon her if she did not comply. He wanted a sex slave, someone who would see to all of his needs. Mundane and bizarre, she gave in, expecting that in return he would be true to her, but he soon told her that he was tired of having sex with her and needed something new and more exciting so he would bring prostitutes home. And to please him, Carol went along with it. Right, she acted like it was all fine. Um, In the meantime, kind of Jack kind of slid out of the picture because Carol was kind of focused on making sure Doug was happy. Right. By the spring of 1980, Carol had told police that Doug Clark had turned to murder. Um, one day in April, he came in covered in blood, lied about its source, but then on another occasion, Carol discovered a bag of bloody women's clothing in the car. Uh, Doug then told her about, um, Gina and Cynthia, the two girls who were found murdered in June and dumped off the freeway. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Doug confessed in detail what he had done with the two girls. He had picked them up in the Sunset Strip where they were sitting at a bus stop. He had made Cynthia perform fellatio on him and ordered Gina to look away. Apparently, when she refused, he just shot her point blank in the head. Uh, then he shot Cynthia, and then when it appeared that they were not dead, he shot them both again and took the bleeding corpses to a rented garage. He played with them, posing them for his entertainment, then he raped both of their bodies. In the early morning hours, he dumped them on the Forest Lawn Hallway, Hollywood Hill Cemetery. Is this the guy that shot the girl in the head while he was give it, getting oral from her? Just... Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so then he told... When he told Carol about this incident, she found herself intrigued and excited by the idea of this kind of kinky sexual escapade. She felt that an intimacy had grown between them and that Doug did not have... That Doug, he didn't have to have with another woman he was seeing and she wanted to go along with one of his murder adventures. So basically, she thought if she involved herself in it, he wouldn't start seeing, keep seeing other women because, yeah. If I insert myself in this, yes, then that, that means that I'm part seal of their it. relationship, right? Uh, um, oh my god! But she must have had second thoughts because she did call the police department after those murders, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, but the switchboard dropped her off and then she never called again. And she was like, maybe it was just meant to be. I'm yeah. not supposed to tell. Um, that same evening, Doug urged her to watch the news. She turned it on, saw that another murder was being reported on. This one was a man. His name was Vic Weiss and he had been found in the trunk of a Rolls Royce at the Sheridan University Universal Hotel. And Doug told her that that was him as well. But that's all we really have on that. Like just him saying yeah. that. So he took Carol out to a ravine the following morning, pointed out to an area where he had dumped a prostitute after shooting her. That was the first victim, the mummified one. Okay. Yeah, it was found under, under a mattress. the mattress. Um, but he had kept her panties. He bragged as a souvenir. He described the entire incident for Carol in explicit detail, getting her as excited as he was about sexual murder. Um, she had once been a partner in his violent fantasy life, and now she wanted took this as a sign of real intimacy and wanted to be a part of his real violent life. So on June 20th, Bundy accompanied Clark on his Hollywood area cruising, where Bundy lured a young prostitute who used the name Kathy to a car. Bundy climbed into the back seat and to watch Kathy perform oral sex on Clark. She had one of the guns he, she had purchased in her purse, and Doug had the other one with him in the front. Carol was supposed to signal whether or not she wanted to go ahead and shoot the girl herself, but Doug apparently got angry at something the hooker was doing or not doing, so he reached for the gun, and oh. Carol was basically excited about what she was going to witness, and oh. she, they, there are there is thought that she may have even been photographing it, but they didn't really get conclusive like evidence speculation? of that. Um, so then they covered the body yeah. so they could drive it without attracting any attention to a place where they could get rid of the body, and that they ended up near Magic Mountain Amusement Park and left the dead girl in that general area next to some bushes. So this is one they hadn't found yet. Mm-hmm. So then Clark returned to the Sunset Strip where they encountered Exe Wilson. Okay. Um, he drove her to the Sizzler restaurant on Ventura Boulevard. She began to perform oral sex when he raised the pistol and shot her in the head. So this That's is... That's where... Yes. I was like, I remember it happening, and I'm pretty sure it was. But when he shot her in the head, in an involuntary reaction, she bit him in the genitals. So that's why she he cut her head off. Because he was mad? He threw a tantrum and cut her head he off? got a bag from the trunk in which he had sharp knives, liquid cleansers, uh, trash bags, and paper towels. He cut off Exy's head, placed it inside a trash bag, and left the body in the parking lot. Then he, they saw Karen Jones. So one night he killed three people. She agreed to get in the car with him, unaware that her friend's head was in the back seat in a trash bag. Uh. Doug shot her, pushed her out of the car near the Burbank Studios. She was quickly found, and then Exy's body was discovered, headless. Uh. By then, Doug had already driven away to Carol's and placed the head in the freezer to preserve it for their use as a sex toy. Oh, so very Ed Comfrey. Uh, Carol admitted that that was what she had the most fun with. I had my fun was with, where I had all my fun was with the makeup. I was making her over like a big Barbie doll. Once she had the makeup right, Clark, to Clark's satisfaction, he would penetrate her mouth for necrophilic oral sex. That's mm-hmm. why her mouth was open. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. would often take it into the shower with him. They continued to use it this way for three days before placing it freshly scrubbed in a box and which was found discarded in an alley. Although I'm pretty sure that Ed Kemper fucked the neck hole. Yes, he did. Yeah, not the mouth. Because the there's teeth and it's there's no saliva. I don't understand. How is that pleasant? But whatever. Whatever. Teeth is own, I guess. <laughs> Some people really like the teeth, but he cut off a girl's head because yeah. it happened. So I don't know why you'd want teeth. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then on August 1st, Doug took his 11-year-old companion 
the little girl with him on a prostitute run. He let the girl watch him have oral sex with the prostitute, then dropped her off, and then shot the prostitute in the head. He told Carol he had used her corpse for sex and then dumped her near some water towers in Antelope Valley. And that was when, on August 5th, Carol sought out Jack Murray. Because Doug still wouldn't sleep with her. And she was looking for some fucking, I guess. Just like, I need some action! But she couldn't keep her fucking mouth shut and basically talked about everything that Clark had been doing to Okay, Jack. which, I mean, if you do stuff, tell people. Yeah. You can just fucking go uh, and die, but... And then Jack was like, uh, we gotta turn him into the police. And that was not what Carol had intended, so she knew she had to get rid of him. She lured Murray into his van, had him lie on his stomach, and shot him in the head. He was not dead, however, so she proceeded to stab him until he died. After she murdered him, she cut off his head and then called Doug, who was like, What the fuck are you doing? You're ruining everything! (laughs) It's like, you just went off the fucking rails, huh? Uh, So then he helped her get rid of it in a trash can. Body was obviously discovered because of the smell. And then, um... What happened to the butt? They just... That was just her just fucking around with it. What the fuck? Um, Carol overheard the police, had found the shell casings, and realized that they now had evidence linked to her gun... Jack's current girlfriend had seen Carol go to his, go to his van with him and had told this to the police so, like, she could feel the heat and that's why she, like, snapped at work and started telling people. So then the police went to Bundy's home, arrested her, and confiscated at, like, everything. Uh, she turned over out to be three pairs of panties that she had been, that had taken from the victims, as well as a photo album of Clark and compromising, compromising positions with the 11-year-old neighbor. <laughs> She also admitted that she had killed Jack Murray herself. Um, Another team had already arrested Clark in Burbank, where he worked as a boiler engineer for Juergens Corporation. (laughs) He went to jail, charged with lewd and lavicious conduct with a minor, and with aiding and abetting a murder suspect. Mm -hmm. While awaiting Clark's hearing, police had time to search for evidence of the more serious crimes. Um, um, His bail was set at $500,000, and he um, had a public defender. It was an unusually high figure for a bail, but the police feared that if Clark were freed, he would destroy any evidence they had. Right. At Clark's workplace, a co-worker stumbled across the place in the boiler room where Clark had stashed the two twenty-five caliber Raven automatics. The worker turned them in, and the police lab linked them via ballistics tests to the five known victims, and he was charged with the five murders. So. Fucker. Okay. A a pathologist got to work to determine if the same person had beheaded both Murray and Axie Wilson, but he determined that two different people had used two different knives, just as Bundy was telling them. Mm -hmm. Uh, She Uh. was arraigned on August 13th, 1980, in the murder of John Murray and ordered to be held without bail until her preliminary hearing in two weeks. Uh, That complaint noted that Murray had been killed because he was a witness to a crime and Bundy wanted to prevent him from offering testimony. Reporters asked if Murray had been the anonymous caller who had offered important information, but they declined to say. In fact, the media would eventually learn that it was Carol who had called about the murders. Okay. So then the pair turned on each other, which is what always happens. Right. Um, so the twenty-five caliber pistol that the five victims were shot with were was in Clark's possession, but it was in Bundy's name. Mm-hmm. So um, that complicated things. And then the police needed Carol's testimony against Clark, but he might be able to throw reasonable doubt into the process by pointing to Carol as the instigator because the guns were in her name. 
Right. And that she had murdered the women out of jealousy and then framed Clark. Yeah, because he could totally just say... Well, she had, after all, killed Murray uh-huh. and beheaded him herself, so she could very easily have killed the other women. Well, and it's like, oh, and she witnessed me having whatever with these people, so he right. she killed them out of emotions, and I did help her mm-hmm. by hiding the bodies with her or whatever, but I did not kill them. Right. Okay. However, Clark's fingerprints were found on the murder weapon, nude photos of him were with a child, so he mm-hmm. was certainly implicated in something, And but he claimed that the child was the one responsible for seducing him. Oh, yeah, you know those 11-year-olds. Oh, right. my God, are you fucking kidding me? Yep. Um, and then the fact that Carol had actually come forward and told everything was in her favor, where Clark was trying to, like, dance around <laughs> everything. Right. So Clark's story was that Carol, whose last name was... Carol, who's, because her last name was Bundy, imagined herself to be the wife of Ted Bundy, the infamous nomadic serial killer who'd been in Reston, Florida. She had engaged... Jack Murray in this delusion, and they had killed the victims together before Carol had finally turned her wrath on Jack. So he was like, I'm not a part of this at all. I just just... helped hide the bodies. Blah, 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 blah. Um, However, (sighs) this police had more physical evidence that basically pointed to Clark than Bundy. They went to Clark's rented garage, found a body, a bloody boot print that matched one of his boots. print? A boot print. (laughs) (laughs) They also found blood in a car that he had sold that was matched to some of the victims that they located uh, and the kill bag that Carol described, like, to a T in that garage, as well as gloves that she had worn to handle the box with Wilson's head. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also had a clipping of Exie Wilson's murder in Doug's bedroom at Carol's apartment, along with other photographs. They found a list of names, Cindy and Mindy, and some phone numbers. Mindy, they had learned, had been an acquaintance of Cynthia Chandler. Uh, the, one of the 16-year-olds. Yep. And she had reported to police that after Cynthia's murder, someone had called her. First, he in- imitated a police officer, and then he had called back and said he killed Cynthia and she would be next. Oh. The detectives had a tape of Doug's boi- voice from his confession, and Mindy stated that that voice was the same voice of the man who called her. And then they also found j- alibis for Jack Murray for all of the v- murder, so... He definitely did not have anything to do with any of the murders. And then on August 26th, the remains of the woman that Doug Clark had dumped near the water tower at the amusement park were found. So that sixth body. Yeah. And the bullet in her skull was linked to the same raven that killed the five others. Um, And then they found the other body near Malibu, but they never identified her. Carol claimed that Doug had told her about the killing and dumping this prostitute. She had been shot, but the bullet was too fragmented to conf- definitively link okay. it. Okay. So that one is linked, but not, like, with They're not evidence. for sure. Right. And despite all of Carol's descriptions, the searchers didn't locate the other one, the Kathy prostitute. Right. But she would eventually be located, but not until March of 81, and then Carol would be charged with the other murder. So over, like, what kind of time span did all this happen? Like a year. I was going to say, this has this to be within quick. a year, because mm-hmm. 81... This it started, all started in 80. Yeah. And in March of 81 is when they found the body. The, the last body. When they found the last body. Yeah. So, so this they, was like really just like a six Six months. months. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. That's um, a lot. Just mm-hmm. like. Well, and I mean, he. I mean, I don't want to say like it's makes it make sense, but he was doing. They were doing like two or three at a time. Yes. They were doing two at a time. Yeah. And the like one, one night they did three, but yeah. they never located that Kathy body until 81. But yes, they did three in one night at one point. Yeah, so that So makes... it really was only, like, a couple of weeks the murders happened. Right. Before. But yes. It was like a blammo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I was just... Oh, that's okay. 
Um, so then both Bundy and Clark were, obviously they did a whole bunch of different psychological examinations. She was just, Carol was described by one professional as a condescending and controlling, ready to blame others. She was not brain damaged and showed no overt psychopathology. Mm-mm. So, uh, Doug too was not brain damaged and, or considered in any way psychotic enough to be judged insane. He had numerous personality and psychosexual disorders, but nothing to prove provide an excuse for what he had done. Right. Not legally um, insane. So their trial moved forward. He was uh, actually jailed with Angelo Buono and Roy Norris and William Bonin. So basically all of the serial killers that have been caught so far, he was like in the same prison with them. Be a, be a fly on that wall. Yeah, right? <laughs> Holy shit. At his trial, Doug acted as his own defense counsel. Well, they all do. And tried to blame Bundy for everything, claiming he had been manipulated, uh, but the jury did not believe him, and he was sentenced to death. He remains on California's death row. Okay. Bundy made a plea bargain, and in return for her testimony, was sentenced to 52 years to life imprisonment. She died in prison from heart failure in 2003 at the age of 61. So there has been... I felt like I didn't want to put this in there, but I had to. There has been some doubt gas cast on the nature of Clark's conviction. Okay. They are contesting that Clark could provide alibis for five of the seven murders he was convicted of, and that the presiding judge refused to accept key physical evidence, including a witness and several banking documents that exonerated Clark and Wilson's murder. Exe Wilson's murder. Right. Bundy's testimony was proven to be highly inconsistent. She claimed at first that Clark had murdered Jane Doe 18 two weeks before her interview on August 11th without her involvement or knowledge. And then she was told that Clark had an alibi for that date. She was allowed to change her story and subsequently uh, provided intricate details on the manner of the murder and location of the body, even though she had initially claimed she knew nothing about it. So it might have been feeding some information, too. Or it might have been that she she was killing some and he was killing some. I don't think he didn't kill any of them. It's like, what if it really was the other guy with her? But I... Anyway. I, I feel like he was killing some, but I think she was trying to, like, impress him. Right. So she may have gone off and done some on her own. Gone off. Um, what did you do? Bundy also allowed, admitted that police allowed her to withdraw $3,000 from Murray's bank account, although she claimed that to the, that the police took the money with an almost total lack of physical evidence. So basically, like, she, the She's police kind of allowed her some yeah. free reign. And then there was almost a total lack of physical evidence, and, and Bundy's testimony really was the entire basis of Clark's conviction. Right. Um, additionally, um, Clark's lawyer was drunk during most of the trial and fell asleep several times while Clark was being cross-examined, which was why Clark requested to defend himself. It's like, it's better than this fucker. But he was denied co-counsel, advisory counsel, and the services of a law cur- clerk with the judge... Basically telling him that if he wants to do it that way, he's going to go it alone. So, I mean, I don't feel sympathy, but also that's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. So there was, there's some, it's been called into question, but he's obviously still in jail. And, um, there hasn't been enough. Yeah. Proof so this, of not. The case is fucked up. Yeah, it is. I remember, I don't remember where I read it first, but I remember her I face you because I thought it was this, fucked. But you probably didn't know like the full span of all the details. You know how bad I am with names, like any of these like side names. When you yeah. said it as that, I'm like, I don't fucking know this. Mm-hmm. And then we hit that when you said her name. I was like, <sighs> I know her name. That fucking name, man. Because she looks like this. 
because she has her Coke bottle glasses on, so her eyes yeah. are really big, and the one is kind of cockeyed. She looks like an 80s mom. Mm-hmm. She's got, like, almost a bowl cut yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. 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 But, yeah, that was good. Thank good you. jobs. Hey, thanks. Good jobs. I've got to pee again. Me too. <laughs> All righty, then. We've, we're recent... Re- I'm done peeing. Are you ready to tell me your story? <laughs> yes, because my bladder is also empty. Oh, good. You voided your bladder. I voided it. I drained it, drained the tank, you know. <laughs> Nothing like a good tank drainage. I mean, it wasn't so good that I made my nipples hard, but it was pretty good. There's a guy at my work, and his name's Bab, and I always say, Got your pie there, Bab. <laughs> I thought you said Bab. I was like, no, Bab. A dude named Bab? No, his name's Bab. You call them Babs? And they had pie at work, and he, like, was carrying a piece of pie. I was like, you got your pie there, Bob. You got your pie there, Bob? <laughs> yep. All right, what what are you going to tell me? I am going to tell you about the disappearance of Morgan Nick. Is that a guy or a girl? A girl. No. Okay. So, Morgan Chantel. Why does she have two first names? I don't know. Her last name's Nick. I hate it's that. Just how it is. I hate when people have two first names. Well, she's a little girl that disappeared, so maybe. I'm just saying, I don't like it when people have two first names. Just starting rough right off the bat. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Morgan Chantal Nick was born September 12th, 1988. Literally a week older than me. A week before I was born. Kind of crazy. Weird. I didn't know that, so I was typing it. And I'm like, all of a sudden got weirdly connected to this case. Yep. Wow. <laughs> uh, to Colleen and John Nick. She had a brother and a sister, Logan and Taryn. They all have first, they all have two first names. Well, if your last name's Nick, <laughs> it's probably going to happen. Uh, she was born and raised in Ozark, Arkansas, a small town with less than 4,000 people in it. Kind of like our hometown. She was... Described as being bright and vivacious and kind of a jokester. She mm-hmm. was very active in her Girl Scouts. Um, I mean, she she disappeared when she was like six. So as active as you can be. Yeah, all these as a six-year-old. She was goofy and enjoyed making other people laugh. So she was kind of a clown. Aww. On Friday, June 9th, 1995, Colleen took her oldest dog, daughter, Morgan, out for a girl's day. To visit friends in Alma, Alma, Arkansas, and they attended a little league baseball game while her grandmother, the grandmother of the other kids, watched them. Because mm-hmm. I, I think Colleen. So I didn't dig deeper in this, but it seems like she may have been a single mom at this time. Okay. Um, because everything talked about how she did all this stuff. And there's not much more mention of the dad. Okay. So either that, or he just did not. He stayed out of the public eye or something because that happens too um when they arrived at the park where the game was supposed to be taking place they met up with their friends there was estimated of about 300 people attending the game that day Mm -hmm. and it, it was a very normal and social game everybody was cheering and laughing and um the kids were very active running around and playing morgan at one point um snuck up underneath the bleachers and tied her mom's shoelaces together to try to like pull a prank but i mean my first thought was what if she tripped down the bleachers i know hey it's not funny (laughs) that's not a funny prank kid could break your mom's neck so then it makes me wonder if maybe she like got mad at her for it Mm. you know got sad 
afterwards because she was mad at her before all this happened. Anyway, so Morgan um, was uh, six o'clock. Six o'clock. She was six Morgan o'clock. Morgan was six o'clock at this time. Morgan was six years old at this time and got really antsy and couldn't sit anymore and wait and She's watch a the normal six year old. Exactly. So at 1030 at night. What kind of fucking game is this? Uh, yeah, I a don't know if it was one? just a big tournament oh. or what, and they just stayed until the end or what, but I was like, 10.30 at night? She's six years old. What mm-hmm. the fuck? It's past her bedtime. But her friends invited her to go play and catch lightning bugs in a field nearby. It was like an open field where you could see from where the bleachers were and no. whatever. No. No. Morgan's, no. Morgan's mom, no. Colleen, was very hesitant, and she didn't... This was their first time coming to Alma, and so she didn't know the area. It was late mm-hmm. at night. She was very like, Ugh, no. I'd rather you didn't. But her friends and the parents of her friends assured them that this was a normal thing. Kids went and played over there all the time. Like, it wasn't weird. And you can see it, so you just look over. There's lights that loom over it because it's right next to the parking lot where they mm-hmm. park. So... She gave in. Basically, it was like, a, okay, fine. Like, whatever. Just go play. And uh, so every few minutes. Well, so Colleen wasn't too concerned because she was wearing a bright green Girl Scout t-shirt and bright white sneakers. So just with the light alone, she was almost glowing in the dark. Mm-hmm. So she's like, she could see her the entire time. So she looked every few minutes. She would look over, make sure she could find Morgan and then would get back to the game And everything seemed to be fine. All was well and good. They were playing. And within about 15 minutes, the baseball game actually finished up. And everyone began to pack up and start making their way over to the parking lot. This is when Morgan's friends came back to the seats to meet their families. But Morgan wasn't with them. And Colleen had said that just a couple minutes before that, she had seen Morgan playing with them. So she wasn't concerned. And as soon as the game wrapped up, it was supposed to be... When the game finishes, you come back to the bleachers. So Colleen asked them where Morgan had gone. They said that she was in the parking lot near the car, emptying out her shoes because there was sand in it, uh, in them. And Colleen ran to her car, but Morgan was not there. And she mm. panicked. Um, so she ran back, talked to the coaches and the people that were in charge and tried to figure out, like, how do we go about looking for if she's maybe lost in the people and stuff, because a later interview with Dateline, she was talking about how there were people everywhere. Everybody was moving. So she wouldn't be surprised if maybe she got confused and ended up like, I don't know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Um, So the coaches like got those kids that were with her and asked them some more questions. Um, And they detail, like they asked what happened last? And the two children said that there was a creepy man, their words, creepy man, that had come up to them and talked to all of them when they were emptying out their shoes. But he didn't, like, stay there. He had walked away. And then as soon as the game ended, they ran back. The kids ran back thinking Morgan was with them. And in an interview with those friends, the girl that was with them said that... As soon as they found out that the game had ended, they ran back and they didn't even realize that Morgan wasn't with them until they were back at their parents and they were asking where Morgan was. Mm-hmm. So they were all in the same space when they're like, well, she was at the car emptying out her shoes. She was with us. Yeah, yeah. she was with us. I don't know where she went. So um, they said that this man was standing near a faded red Ford pickup truck with a white like camper cover on mm-hmm. the back. 
one of those shells. Uh, and not long after this, oh, not long after the man had tried to talk to them is when the game ended. And so they just ran back, like I said. In later interviews, the girl said that she didn't even think it was weird at the time that the man talked to them because they're from a small town. They talk to adults all the time that like know their parents and they, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, and they don't know them. So she didn't think much of it until Morgan was missing. And that's when she was like, well, he was like, it was weird that he was talking to us and they couldn't even remember what he had asked them because he had asked them a question. But being kids, they were like, oh, whatever. Bye. Right. So uh, a search immediately began and they called the police. Um, the search turned up nothing. The police arrived within about six minutes and they did an even like more in-depth sweep of the area and they um, performed additional interviews with the people that were still in the parking lot and around. They did find some eyewitnesses. They corroborated the children's story with some additional details saying that he was a Caucasian male from ranging from the ages of like 28 to 38. So somewhere in like late 20s, early 30s. Uh, he spoke with a hillbilly accent, so a really strong southern accent. Quotations around that. Mm -hmm. He was medium build, around like 180 pounds and about six feet tall. He had salt and pepper slicked back hair with mm -hmm. a beard and a mustache that were about uh, an inch or so long is what they had said. His truck was a low riding red Ford pickup truck. And... Uh, there were curtains in the camper shell that the kids described, and it was noticeably shorter than the actual truck bed. So it didn't quite reach the end of the truck bed. And they also noted that there was rear damage to the passenger side. Uh, this person obviously was the prime suspect, and they were trying their best to figure out who it was and it was immediately classified as an abduction mm -hmm. some random things that also happened that day slash in that time earlier in alma on that same day a man in a red truck had attempted to lure a four-year-old girl into his truck uh, it was stopped by the child's mother who alerted everybody around she basically started screaming and he mm -hmm. took off and that's pretty much where it ended. Uh, presumably, this was the same man, but obviously they don't have enough like evidence to say for sure. Right. The next day, after the disappearance, there was another report of a man matching the description. Um, matching the description of Morgan's abduction, who tried to lead a nine-year-old girl into a men's restroom at a gas station in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which was only about 15 miles away. Colleen remained in Alma for the next six weeks, refusing to go home without Morgan. Oh, but her kid's at home. She actually stayed stayed in the volunteer fire department next door to the police department for free. They, oh. like, put her up. Um, she made flyers, handed them out, and posted them everywhere. They said that parked cars would get flyers on them. They were on top of the poles. They were, like, they were everywhere in the town. Colleen even tried to help by faxing the FBI and asking for um, help faster federal intervening when it comes to child abductions because mm -hmm. they basically said that they needed to sit there until another child was abducted before there would be help other than 
just the small town's police department. Right. Also, at this time, there was a composite of the abductor made, and it was broadcast statewide. Uh, this got them about 4,000 leads. So this is obviously way before the Amber Alert, right? Mm-hmm. That came out in, like, what, the mid-80s, late-80s, early-90s? It was, like, the early-90s, mm-hmm. um, and it was, like, a state-by-state thing. Yeah. Well, it was out, but it wasn't as, like, nationwide broadcast. It didn't cover as much. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, a general... Yeah. Thing. Okay. Um, because later on it talks about that. Uh, so this created so much information for this small department to have to handle that they got a storage shed to hold all of the files with the different leads to follow mm-hmm. through with them, but nothing seemed to pan out. Uh, well, sir. Colleen eventually had to go home to her other children. And she had to break the news to them that she didn't know if Morgan would be coming home and kind of explain to them what happened. Because they were young. I mm-hmm. mean, they were two younger than Morgan and she was only six. So in 1996, she founded the Morgan Nick Foundation of Alma, Arkansas. This is a nonprofit that helps prevent abductions, offers support to families of missing children. And basically now it's turned into because I went. I'm on their Facebook page now. Um, it's turned into also like a human trafficking, yeah. like information site trying to like cover all its bases. They also do uh, adult missing adults because I'll just get to it. In honor, <laughs> this was in honor of Morgan or in honor of Morgan, Arkansas renamed their Amber Alert to the Morgan Nick Amber Alert, um, just for a local sense Mm -hmm. of like responsibility um when there when this was um when this happened it now would broadcast over 200 like radio stations because before that it was like just certain ones and now it's now the way they have it set up is that everything yeah like your cell phone shuts down yeah when it's uh something that's in your neighborhood or in your area that Mm -hmm. you need to be aware of so This made it so it was a lot, covered a lot more. It pushed forward a bit more. The police were still receiving tips and even some false confessions. I tried to look into it. There's not a lot of information on those. Um, I think they don't want it to... Tarnish. Yeah, they don't want it to weird, like, confuse the actual abduction case. Um, But they were all ruled out. There was a new composite sketch made in 2001 and an age progression sketch of Morgan at the age of 12, which she would have been at in 2001. Also, Mm. Unsolved Mysteries featured the case, um, which made tips boom at the time. Um, One tip said that the girl's body could be found in a private property on Boomville, Arkansas. Since this was so specific, the police took it very seriously, and they investigated, because they even told, like, what the property was. Um, but they investigated it, and on January 15th, 2002, they even took backhoes and dug up the property, but they found nothing conclusively linking anything there. So they had to basically close down that site and move forward with another thing. Yeah. On November 16th, 2010, a narcotics officer in Sparrow, Oklahoma, about 35 miles away from there, 
told investigators about an abandoned trailer that was owned by a convicted child molester who was in prison at the moment. So since he was in prison for something, his property was basically okay to look into. Mm -hmm. Um, When he called, it wasn't necessarily specifically for the Morgan Nick thing, but they knew that they had unsolved or unresolved cases. So it was an idea of like, maybe go and check it out. Um, This person was considered a viable person in Morgan's case though since the beginning Mm. so with they just had no no way of tying him exactly they had no evidence to rule him out and they also had no evidence to actually tie him to the crime so they went to the property to investigate but again there was no links found for Morgan's disappearance um on June 23rd 2012 Tanya Ray Smith, or Renee Smith, excuse me, a 24-year-old who served time in prison, attempted to use Morgan's identity to buy and bought legal documents off of like off of the internet to assume her identity. And she was caught, obviously, because of Morgan's case still being open. Fucking moron. Yeah, they basically found her right away. And She was apprehended, sent to Arkansas, and on Feb- in February of 2013, she was convicted of computer fraud and was filed, or, er, and she was convicted of pu- computer fraud a and- fraud. Computer. A pooter fraud. A pooter frog. <laughs> um, pooter frog. <laughs> I know. Fuck? It's just, we're just descending it's, into madness It's falling. Now. It's falling apart. And she got probation for this. Um, and the case went cold again Mm -hmm. until about 2017. Uh, on December 18th of that year, a tip came in about a water well that Mm -hmm. was on the same property as the trailer that the tip had gotten, they had gotten before. So an entire team spent the entire day searching for evidence in this one small area, like combing through as fine tooth as they can. Um, but again, nothing. nothing. This po- like I, it's just like every turn that they like jump all in on. There's nothing. Since Morgan's disappearance, Alma has changed a bit. The baseball field has now become a parking lot. There is a 5K fundraiser for Morgan Nick's foundation. Uh, this foundation has helped solve over 40 missing person cases, and some of the cases are even of children coming home after like 20 years. Of time passing. That's so cool. Uh, Colleen still believes that Morgan is alive and she thinks that she will see her again, saying to Dateline that, quote, she is not a number. She is not a statistic. She is not a case file. She is a daughter, a sister, a granddaughter, and a friend. And she is someone worth fighting for. If you're not on the front line fighting for your daughter, no one else will be. So... It is my job to make sure that she never gets lost until someone can prove to me that Morgan is not coming home, then I am going to fight for her. Today, she would be 31 years old. And if you have any information about Morgan Nick's disappearance, you're asked to call the Alma Police Department at 479-632-3333. A little bit of information I found this morning is they were saying that there may be a link to the serial kid were kidnap the serial killer. Your mouth doesn't want to make words today. I don't know. Ed Edward Edwards, which okay. is 
a fun Wait. thing to say too. Is that the guy with the bodies in the barrels? Like there was like a little no. kid in the that's the um maybe because that's the kid you did do that case because yeah because he I, I'll now do it. We, keep going I'll edit um but it seems like it's kind of like um Henry Lee Lucas case where they're kind of linking a lot of random cold cases to him um. I was like, I feel like I, because I was trying to go through the thing today being like, did I cover this guy? Because he sounds so familiar and his face looks familiar. Um, But either way, I looked to see what the link was to him. And I got to say, no, doesn't say. No. Okay. So I have no idea. He's the one that did the sweetheart murders in Wisconsin. Um. I was like, his, he just, uh, Ed Edwards did? Mm-hmm. Oh, because he was based in Oklahoma. Mm-mm, Ohio. Or Ohio. But it said, his Wikipedia page says, the second pair of murder, murders, another double homicide occurred in Watertown, Wisconsin in 1980. Tim Hack and Kelly Drew were stabbed and strangled. These are referred to as the sweetheart murders. Huh. Because he escaped from prison. Well, he seemed very familiar, so I was like, did I cover him? But either way... I think, um, no, he- but a couple of the podcasts we listened to have covered them, Maybe. so that's probably why. So it seems, but that it he seems might be like him. everything yeah. that I've se- seen is like, he's kind of taking responsibility and or people are pinning a lot of different things on him. Right. So it may be just a long shot. Henry Lee Lucas kind of thing. Armchair. Just convinced everything. Right. Well, it might be a long shot armchair, con- like, detective right. type of deal. So... We'll see if that pans out, because that was just within this last, like, six months that that came out. Um, so, we'll see. But either way, super sad. Mm-hmm. I, I I got this weird, like, personal connection to it as soon as I saw her birthday. I was like, she's, like, my age. She would be me at this point in life. Yeah. Ugh. It's Ugh. so sad. Poor and girl. So I hate disappearances, and I hate unsolved cases, so I just hate everything about that. Right. Well, and that's just, like, my heart... My heart and prayers go out to you, mm-hmm. Colleen. Best of. Oh man, can you just imagine like the regret in everybody there? Like the parents of the friends who were like, "No, it's fine." No, it's fine. And her friends who were like, "Oh, she was right behind us." And yeah. mom who's like didn't want to let her go, but was like, "Well, fine, just go." Well, and the like- kids that she was with were like eight and nine, so it's not or eight and ten, so it's not like they were little tiny kids too. So I'm sure she also felt a little bit of. I'm literally picturing comfort in that. Every Friday night football game in high school, we when had we that were field over there. Yeah, when we were little, and we'd go across because there's a football field, and we go across the road, and there was the it was like that old. They had like those two bar things, uh-huh. and it was just like the janky ass. And all like the parents were just like rusty old playground that all the kids mm-hmm. you'd go in. It'd be dark. There were no lights in that field. And it would be like, just go play and then come back before the end of the football game. Well, and that's exactly like when right. I first read it, I was like, why would you let your kid? And then I was thinking about it. I'm like, that's what it's we literally did. our town. Literally because, what we did. Yeah. Yeah. So ugh, it was just a very like personal touching story of I can't even imagine being the kids that were playing with her and ran back. And like, I, I don't know where she went. She was just behind us. Right. I that's. Oh. My heart, but 
that's it. That's that. And I want to, I want to get this out of my brain as fast as possible, but at the same time, don't because I want it to be solved. Well, I feel like this was a real downer of an episode. Yep. So sorry guys. You're welcome. <laughs> it's what we do. We just bring it down and, and then we don't and just lift it back it down. up. Just curb stomp you with depression. Yeah. I mean, Oh. 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 A little ASMR action there for you. Fuck. I don't even know what to say. Fuck to it, man. Shit. shit. I don't fucking... I don't fucking know. People know our podcast and listen to it. That's cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um. Um. Okay. Follow us on the social medias. We're Facebook, just gonna close her up. We got nothing for right, you. Twitter. Instagram. Um. I'm gonna try to be better on Twitter. I just... I don't understand it. I don't like it. It's com- um, it's confusing. It's just know. weird. I don't even know how to find like the source of somebody replying to something on there. It's I'm like, like you've got three notifications. I'm like, <laughs> well, where are they? On what? What do they say? What do they want? Where are they? Hi. I can see who it is, but nothing else. <laughs> anyway, so follow so us cool. on those on I- or at ISW the podcast. Um, send us emails at iswthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love interactions. Feel free to, those we of you that listen. You. Yes, we love you. Thank you. We love you. We love you. Uh, feel free hey, to post on our Facebook page, too. We're over 4,000 downloads. Well, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun. And we're almost the year in. Yeah. What the fuck? January. is our one-year anniversary. January. It's a long commitment. It's the longest commitment I've ever had in my life. No, uh, we've been friends for like twenty five years. Uh, no, not twenty five. We've well, we've been yes. friends since we were like sixteen, fifteen, fourteen. Like good friends. I mean, we've known each other and been friends, like little kid friends, since we were in elementary school. Right, but like actually we've been like friends? best friends. We've been really? like best friends since we were like sixteen. All right, sixteen, and it's like. It's, like, not a big deal, but it's kind NBD, of a big deal. but kind of NBD. Oh, my God. I fucking hate us right now. I fucking hate everything about what we just said. Oh, my God. We so, uh, have a good day. Yeah. Bye. So, enjoy. Your time. Enjoy. Your time. The day is yours. The day is mine. Fucking selfish. <laughs>